0: Hello and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode, also the ones we did. I'm one of your hosts,
1: Dr. Sharon Joe. And I'm your other host, not yet Dr. Andrei (laughs) Korenkov. And for any regular listeners, you may have noticed we have not been putting out episodes uh, that consistently lately. Uh, Apologies, there's a bit of a school crunch going on, but we'll do our best to keep uh, them at least bi-weekly, if not weekly, for the next while. This week, we'll be talking about artificial intelligence helping us to talk to animals and helping us to protect India's tigers. We'll be talking about wearable AI sensors and how AI can be used to pilot among navigated crowd airspaces. We'll talk about facial recognition smartwatches and we'll finish up with some cool uh, art installations using robots and using Dali too. Cool, shall we dive right in? Let's dive straight in. So first up, we have our applications and business stories, starting with, can artificial intelligence really help us talk to animals? So this article covers the Earth Species Project, which is a California nonprofit group that seeks to decode non-human communication using AI with uh, basically machine learning. Founded in 2017, it's worked with major donors such as LinkedIn uh, co-founder Reid Hoffman and has now published its first scientific paper. So they have a very grand ambition and are now actually starting to publish some things. Uh, In particular, their first uh, publication was this paper, BioCPPNet, Automatic Bioacoustic Source Separation of Deep Neural Networks kind of a mouthful, but basically it's being able to detect individual uh, animal speech or vocalization when, you know, there's maybe multiple animals making sounds. Uh, you can then differentiate which ones came from which, which is also done with uh, human audio. It's known as the uh, cocktail party problem. And they have grand missions to keep going and, and keep uh, kind of, doing little steps towards the ultimate goal of being able to sort of basically translate what animals are saying with the codes to discover their language and also along the way to help with uh, conservation and uh, help with biology research.
0: Really cool vision. And also there's so many good little steps in between towards it. Uh, Also great name of the project for ESP <laughs> um, mm. uh, understanding what you know the animal is saying or just intuiting it. Uh, another project that they have also uses AI to create new animal calls, just completely new, unheard of ones, um, but also using specifically humpback whales as a test species. Uh, just very interesting projects um, could fall under this under this vision and path.
1: Yeah, and uh, this article also covers a couple of related efforts. So, uh, an associate professor, an associate professor at the University of Copenhagen, Elodie uh, Breer, uh, developed an algorithm that analyzes pig grunts to tell whether an animal is experiencing positive or negative emotions. And we actually covered that, I believe, uh, some months back on the podcast. Deep. Skin. And uh, there's also Project SETI, which is the Citation translation initiative that wants to translate communication between sperm whales. So it looks like, um, you know, this is actually an undertaking by a few groups and there's already been some uh, progress. So it'd be super exciting to see if we can better understand what the animals are saying.
0: And there's also some skepticism that experts have expressed, for example, uh, the exact same sound that an animal might make might mean actually very different things in different contexts, and so you need to study the context to actually understand the meaning of what, of what the animal is actually saying. In, in that case, they just have a smaller repertoire of sounds than humans do, and so uh, even though they have very complex, you know, societies already, so you know, th- this basically points to. Potential opportunities, I think it is skepticism, but it's also potential opportunities to incorporate context in different ways into this prediction mechanism. So maybe, you know, it's not just sound that these models can take in. It can also take in some kind of visual medium as well. And so uh, I'm very excited to see where this goes and it's probably animal specific. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited where that goes. I mean, humans also have homophones, but not to the same degree. And also we have language which can express so many different concepts uh, that that animals may not have.
1: Yeah, exactly. I feel like it would be a lot easier to, for instance, understand the basic emotion behind barking if you can also have a video of the dog barking and its kind of body language to supply that context. So I'm sure that probably people will do that uh, eventually, and uh, yeah, really excited as as a fan of animals uh, and. Kind of these efforts for animal conservation and generally kind of acknowledging the intelligence of our species, uh, I this would be really cool if it works out.
0: And on to our next article, which is about animals as well. <laughs> it is how rangers are using AI to help protect India's tigers. Uh, so protecting India's tigers is actually a huge job. There are only 3,000 of them in 2018. Uh, so it's actually, um, they're, they're you know, people are worried about the decline of these tigers and actually estimating how many tigers there are is already a pretty challenging task of counting. And so India's National Tiger Conservation Authority, the NTCA, actually uh, deployed a lot of camera traps in over 26,000 thousand locations and they took 34 almost 35 million images of wildlife with those camera traps and uh, on top of that researchers they pretty much you know covered thousands of kilometers on foot just looking for signs of tigers signs of their prey to know you know know where to be taking these photos and where to be setting up these camera traps uh, and also to be collecting information much more manually. And so now they're using AI to be able to, you know, look through those camera trap images instead of humans looking through them to find tigers. Uh, and also now, actually, what's really interesting, I think, is uh, they're using AI also to to predict where rangers should go, like best routes to patrol to find tigers. Uh, and so I, I think that's also really interesting by analyzing the tiger population, how it moves and all, in conjunction with the local topography.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is uh, pretty cool, and the article does note that the chief uh, forest conservator at the Tadaboba National Park uh, has said that the tiger numbers in the state have increased from three hundred twelve to four hundred over the last four years. Uh, So. Yeah, it's it's actually as with kind of conservation efforts, uh, these are long-term efforts to kind of revive these populations or let them grow. And actually, there's another article that is related. We can just briefly mention uh, from The Verge how machine learning could help save threatened species from extinction, which covers how researchers at the Uh, Norwegian University of Science have trained an algorithm to predict the extinction risk of various species uh, that, uh, you know, in many cases, you may not even have enough data to know whether species are facing extinction because there's just not enough information or data. So now we can actually use machine learning to do that. So it's very cool how we can use machine learning to detect these patterns and then You know uh, use that to empower humans ultimately to go out there and uh, help these animals uh, do well
0: that's right and on to our lightning round of articles the first is meta starts testing its latest ai chatbot blenderbot 3. and so meta recently introduced a new ai chatbot called blenderbot 3 and it's supposed to have a conversation with you pretty much anyone without Becoming an asshole, so, uh, which is actually a pretty big task, as you probably have uh, ascertained from chatbots thrown into the wild. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really uh, been focused. Meta has been really focused on getting feedback about uh, on you know making sure their models are not you know responding in
1: harmful ways. Yeah, not replicating uh, the Tay catastrophe that Microsoft had.
0: We're almost anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if I know you're not on Twitter these days, Sharon, but there's already been some funny incidents where people talked to it about uh, Facebook and Zuckerberg, and the bot said some spicy things. Wow, uh, that's spiny. good. Anytime you release a bot in the wild, a chatbot, so far, test
0: boundaries. People like to test boundaries.
1: For people find a way. Uh, not not quite as bad as as previous instances of like outright racism, but definitely this one can say some spicy things, which has been kind of amusing.
0: Nice. Next article is AI startup Cerebras celebrated for chip triumph while where others tried and failed, and so. Uh Cerebrus, which is a huge company um, startup uh, founded by Andrew Feldman, uh, they actually just had uh, got a new display in the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, in California, uh, just nearby here um, for their WSE2, their second generation chip, um, which is, you know, have for achieving this decades long quest to make a single chip chip from an entire silicon wafer, which is a very big deal. So uh, congratulations to the Cerebras team.
1: Yeah, may finally be enough to convince me to go to the computer history museum nice. here in Mountain View, which is super close to Stanford. And yet in more like seven years of living here, somehow I still have not made it. Uh, so now there's yet another reason for me to go, I guess. Onto our other lighting uh, round stories we have, you can sort of generate art like Dali with TikTok's latest filter. So TikTok's latest filter is called AI Green Screen and it lets you generate painterly style images based on words you input. And these images can then become the background of your TikTok videos. Like uh, if you had a green screen, it's not that sophisticated. These are fairly sort of blurry, kind of, uh, you know, uh, not very uh, sophisticated uh, AI generations, but still um, basically Dolly and TikTok, which seems like kind of a good deal.
0: That's a huge deal. I'm so excited. That's ultra mainstream. And I know like AI has been fairly mainstream with TikTok's filters in general, but this is much more explicitly that. And so uh, very exciting. Generative models, yeah, really, really take take the stand there.
1: Yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen uh, Dali or any of other kind of things that have gone m- mini-viral, this is now <laughs> going to make pretty much everybody kind of be exposed to these generative things. Or not everybody, but a lot of people you stick TikTok that. is almost the
0: definition of mainstream.
1: So. Yes, yes. And also on that topic of AI image generation, we have open source rival for OpenAI's dall runs on your graphics card. So the story is about how the startup Stability AI. Has announced the release of stable diffusion, which is an alternative to LD2, basically, same kind of problem, different solution that will be made public and available to various researchers and eventually open source. Uh, it will be released for free. And notably, it is designed such that it can run. On a, you know, kind of normal high powered computer with GPU instead of, um, let's say, a mini supercomputer or something like that. Or, or yeah, basically very expensive compute that uh, Mm -hmm. OpenAI's Dell ET would require. So I think a lot of people have been very excited and um, it is exciting. Stable Diffusion produces really, really pretty cool outputs. Uh, kind of getting close to Dolly 2. So I'm, I would, I'm definitely looking forward to this happening.
0: And this this is a huge deal, by the way. This is absolutely enormous. Uh, and people are just saying that stable diffusion is just going to eat, uh, eat OpenAI and Google's lunch on Imagine. So it, it really is built on top of Imagine's technology, I would say, more so than Dolly 2. I just want to give a shout out there to Imagine team. Um, When you look at the actual uh, architecture of the thing, and it is funded by a hedge fund person uh, who just, you know, made a lot of money on Wall Street and just really wanted to actually see this out in the wild and release the weights Uh, and releasing the weights has many implications. One is that, you know, anyone can access this and you can actually run it millions of times so that you can get exactly what you want. Um, people are creating videos with this so that you can smoothly create videos, which you otherwise, you know, one would be blocked by quota on OpenAI, but also um, w- it would be extremely expensive uh, right now. And so OpenAI and, and MidJourney out there. So this is a very big deal. I'm very, very excited to see where this goes. Um, and I'm excited to actually play with it. I've actually already seen some outputs uh, from my roommate who's, who got access. So uh, yeah, excited to see see this. Take, take storm. <laughs>
1: yeah. What an exciting
0: time. What an exciting time.
1: <laughs> it just keeps going. This is, is really a year of text to image, uh, art in AI and, and these models. So, uh, can it go any further? I guess probably <laughs> we'll have some more news soon, uh, but yeah, super exciting. Moving on to our research and advancement section. First up, we have wearable AI sensor supports personalized health data processing analysis. Uh, So this is covering the paper intrinsically stretchable neuromorphic devices for on-body processing of health data with AI, pretty long title. And this is coming from a big collaboration of a whole bunch of people from the University of Chicago, the Tongji University in China, uh, the Oregon National Library, and more. And as the title says, this uh, kind of, without a jargon, is showing how flexible and stretchable computing chip that can be worn directly on your skin uh, was created and it can collect and analyze health data in real time using AI algorithms. Uh, it uses semiconductors and electrochemical transistors to collect the data from these biosensors. And it's, uh, you know, distinctly different from something like a smartwatch because a smartwatch ultimately is uh, kind of not exactly on your skin. There's a bit of a gap and you have some sensors, but here, because it's worn directly on the skin, you could possibly collect, um, different sorts of data, possibly better data. Uh, and because it's stretchy, right, you can wear it on kind of anywhere on your arm. And as you move your arm, even though it's directly on top of your skin, it stretches uh, and kind of can adapt, uh, which was the major focus here. And there's a lot of details as to the you know uh, material science of how they did this, how they made it run on a low amount of electricity. But the exciting part is uh, they already have kind of a proof of concept of um, doing some sort of um, analysis in real time. So I think it looks really cool. And I would definitely want kind of uh, this kind of stretchy, you know, almost futuristic seeming sensor that you can just slap on your skin somewhere.
0: Yeah, very exciting. I mean, I know people have been talking about this for quite a bit and showing proofs of concept, So I'd I'd like to see how far this really does go. Um, I I am excited to really see this will be precision medicine, right? If we can actually collect data like this, it'll be a big deal. Um, So excited to see where that goes.
1: Yeah, definitely. They uh, demonstrated one uh, kind of main thing so far, which is training the device's uh, machine learning algorithm. So it actually has built-in these neuromorphic capabilities, meaning that it has, you know, obviously not a GPU, but it has the capability to do some machine learning in a very sort of different way that is uh, can be low power and can be a little more flexible. And they showed that this could be trained to analyze and classify ECG data. Which is interesting. One for healthy ECG and uh, four for unhealthy or abnormal signals. Uh, so that's just kind of a proof of concept. It's very early on, but uh, this article does say that this research team is currently planning uh, for new iterations of the chip, and uh, hopefully this will go somewhere. Like I said, uh, you know, possibly it's just a prototype, but. I want this kind of thing too. <laughs> so so Work you will out. will it
0: into existence. You will complement it into existence.
1: I I will do what I can. I will invest in early prototypes. I don't know why I'm so excited about it. I guess I like the idea of better health tracking and analysis. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. We really. It would be nice to have better things for like blood pressure, in real time, or whatever things that could help a lot of people.
0: Or I I just want to know, like, what spikes my blood sugar, too, you know, and that's that's been up and coming in terms of those sensors and and as minimally invasive as possible. So. So we'll see. We will see. And on to our next article, AI pilot can navigate crowded airspace. And so this is about a research um, done on using an AI pilot, which, you know, enables some kind of autonomous aircraft to navigate a very crowded airspace. And that it can, you know, safely avoid collisions. It can protect the intent of other aircrafts. It can track the aircraft and uh, coordinate with the, those other aircrafts' actions. Um, it can also, and I think this is the most interesting piece since uh, other, other AI pilots, I've seen them do this before, but it can also communicate over the radio with pilots and air traffic controllers. And so it can actually um, be safe and socially compliant in its navigation. And this is very important because that's just as if it were a human pilot. It can actually communicate with the humans and other aircrafts. Uh, And so that's a big deal. So uh, researchers actually trained this model on data that was collected um, at a couple airports, the Allegheny County Airport and the Pittsburgh Butler Regional Airport. Um, And that included air traffic patterns, images of aircrafts, and the radio transmissions themselves. Uh, So I thought this was pretty cool work in terms of using you know both natural language processing, automatic speech recognition stuff, um, in addition to to computer vision, and so combining those modalities into an AI that could actually be much more much more safely deployed. Um, of course, they haven't deployed anything; everything is in simulation. So, do take that part with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, one one reason why is that the uh, one of the team members, Sebastian Scherer. Who is an associate research professor uh, at the Robotics Institute at CMU, where this was done? Uh, he noted that this is the first AI pilot that works in the current airspace. So you don't need to change kind of how airports work to, uh, to allow for specific new things for AI, exceptions to needing to use kind of visual signals or auditory signals or communicate using speech. Now, uh, this could potentially just be integrated because it in many ways works, uh, or does some of the same things that human pilots do in terms of looking around and uh, interacting via language. So, um, yeah, so far only a proof of concept and simulation, but, uh, this does seem like a nice step towards potentially, um, making it possible to use more advanced AI pilots, uh, in, you know, real, settings
0: yeah so this is cool stuff cool stuff rolling it out this multimodal stuff in in ways i would have you know never really imagined
1: so yeah it's almost like uh like a little chat bot <laughs> like
0: no a, uh, veto veto this direction of the conversation okay it's, it's just funny because so it's
1: sorry. it's a I little did. like agent that mimics a pilot in terms of like <laughs> looking around and talking like a yeah, like a pilot of a plane. Which is is <laughs> yeah, well really
0: trying here. It's really trying. It's like doing radio transmissions and it's gonna do a, a little bit of Morse code here, a little bit of natural language there. You know, it's gonna yeah. say things like Charlie, you know, instead of C. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be weird. Um
1: well, it, it's interesting because uh, a member of a team actually said that they believe that uh, they could eventually pass the Turing test of this. So they basically are... Eventually is like the key word here. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's their goal is to make this indistinguishable from a human pilot as far as sort of the, the communication channels. So it's uh, ambitious, but uh, seems like it could go somewhere. So let's see.
0: Cool. So onto our lightning round. First article is Hyundai announces $400 million AI Robotics Institute powered by Boston Dynamics. So Hyundai, which remember had acquired Boston Dynamics, um, or most recent acquirer of Boston Dynamics, um, actually announced that the robotics firm will form foundations of the Boston Dynamics AI Institute which will be headquartered in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, and they will do AI and robotics research. And it'll be led by the Boston Dynamics founder, Mark Raybert, uh, who was formerly the, the founding CEO, I believe.
1: Yeah, really cool. Uh, Boston Dynamics was an R&D kind of company for a long time. And Now they are trying to commercialize their technology and, and doing less basic research. So now they can have it both ways, I guess. And, and the guy who led it all for decades uh, can head the research. So I would say that's pretty exciting. And $400 million, that's pretty good funding.
0: <laughs> Not horrible, but also less than uh, how much money they've been passing around in general through acquisitions. Anyways, <laughs> the next article is, in simulation of how water freezes, artificial intelligence Breaks the ice, ha ha ha! Very funny um, article title. So, uh, so a team um, from Princeton uh, has actually accurately simulated the initial steps of ice formation using AI, and this solves equations that govern the quantum behavior of individual atoms and molecules. And so, this basically describes how water molecules transition into solid ice with quantum accuracy. And this level of accuracy, which you know previously people thought was actually impossible uh, in terms of the amount of compute it would need actually is now possible using deep neural networks. Um, So this was published in PNAS, or the Proceedings of National Academy of
1: Sciences. Uh, Yeah, very cool to see another interdisciplinary kind of work of applying machine learning to science. Uh, We've been seeing more and more. And yeah, this was actually published in a journal. Uh, unlike most of AI research, so that's interesting. Next up, we have new algorithm ACES university math course questions. Uh, So researchers from MIT and some other groups developed a machine learning model that can provide detailed solutions to university level mathematics problems in a few seconds at a human level. And the main idea was to cast the questions as a programming task and then solve these tasks using program synthesis. And of course, this was trained using a whole bunch of examples. Um, and they, uh, the research also showed that the model can generate new math questions that are indistinguishable for human-generated questions. So yet more avenues for people, for students to cheat using AI, I guess. Next up, we have the AI-powered swimmer is able to switch between different locomotory gates adaptably to navigate toward any target location on its own. Uh, this is about how researchers from Santa Clara uh, University in New Jersey and University of Hong Kong have been able to successfully teach micro robots how to swim via deep reinforcement learning. And that means that they can now much better uh, Micro swim. Uh, it sounds like so. Uh, <laughs> very very tiny robots are now able to move around in smart ways because of AI, uh, which is pretty fun. It sounds like kind of fun to to imagine.
0: Yes, and specifically in water. Uh,
1: these things look kind of weird, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on to our next section, policy and societal impacts with our first article being facial recognition smartwatches to be used to monitor foreign offenders in the UK. So as the title suggests, uh, migrants who have been convicted of a criminal offense will now be required to scan their faces up to five times a day using smartwatches installed with facial recognition technology under plans uh, from the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice of the UK. Uh, so, this is kind of like an ankle bracelet, but uh, now you can, they, you'll be installed with a smartwatch you can't remove and you need to use it ch- to check in. Uh, so, those obliged to wear devices will need to complete periodic monitoring checks throughout the day by taking a photograph of themselves on a smartwatch. And their location will also be tracked 24-7 with GPS. And then, of course, as the title says, these photographs will be cross-checked against uh, images of them uh, in a database. And there will be a facial recognition thing. And if that fails, then a human will have to go and and check if it looks good or not. So a little dystopian. and kind of creepy, but uh, possibly could be reasonable. The argument here is that this is a better alternative to custody, which means that um, you don't have to hold people. You can let them move around while still monitoring them. But as you might expect, there's been some pushback and criticism of this.
0: Of course, there is uh, some criticism about this. Uh, Basically, campaigners are saying that, you know, 24-hour surveillance of asylum seekers basically breaches human rights um, and can have a pretty detrimental impact on their health and well-being. Uh, And just generally electronic monitoring is intrusive technology and it's technology for control and it causes people to develop symptoms of anxiety, depression, suicide, ideation, and overall deterioration of mental health. Um, So still not clear how long people will remain on monitoring, uh, and they haven't provided any evidence to show uh, why the electronic monitoring, monitoring is necessary or demonstrated um, whether the tags actually make individuals comply with immigration rules better. And so people are saying this is a bit degrading um, and there are better solutions out there. Uh, so it, it's understandable why there's you know some pushback on this. Um, it definitely back to um, a bit of big brotheriness going
1: on. Yeah, and it's it's really not clear to me why this is needed Um, instead of what people already use, which are GPS ankle monitors where, you know, for some cases, if you are an Fender and you're released into the public, but, you know, you maybe are a flight risk or something, you might be made to wear an ankle uh, bracelet. Or ankle monitor that uh, you can't remove and it tracks your motion. Famously seen in the, end of the movie Fast and Furious 2. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the point is of checking in via these photos. Like, uh, if if it's a watch you're wearing, then presumably it's always the same person. Uh, <laughs> it's not like to me what facial recognition helps with. Uh, so it does seem like a sort of power creep that probably doesn't seem to be justified to me in any reasonable way.
0: Well, hopefully they think about this a little bit more uh, before following through and making this uh, permanent thing. And on to our next article, Man city of Chicago claiming its AI wrongly imprisoned him. So, upon exoneration after nearly a year in jail, a resident of Chicago who's 65 years old named Michael Williams filed a lawsuit against the city on the grounds that a controversial AI program called ShotSpotter led to his evidenceless arrest. Uh, and we did cover ShotSpotter before. Uh, and as a reminder, ShotSpotter can l- listen to sounds um, and be able to tell whether it was a gunshot or not. Uh, and when that gunshot occurred. So basically, uh, you know, Williams was very much upset about uh, being, you know, being put in jail, incarcerated. Um, and uh, meanwhile, Chicago has been uh, using ShotSpotter a lot, but this but this lawsuit could actually uh, cause them to have to stop using ShotSpotter. And this is a big deal because the city actually did just renew its $33 million contract with this company, which is a huge contract. Um, and so, you know, this is actually a pretty controversial, uh, pretty controversial lawsuit going on right now.
1: Yeah, and according to Engadget, the, uh, for the arrest, the police didn't even confirm a motive. For Williams who was accused of uh, shooting a 25-year-old man. Uh, all they had was a soundless security video of a car with a shot spotter alert. So seemingly, you know, very little evidence. And we've seen before that police have, uh, in other cases, uh, just used facial recognition matches without any other evidence. So definitely, partially, just sloppy police work. But uh, definitely seems like it could be consequential. Uh, And uh, yeah, another example where not just facial admission, but now audio surveillance is a big deal. And in particular, because of uh, how the police can use it, Uh, the um, ShotSpotter company did respond to this and claimed that uh, ShotSpotter was not responsible for Michael Williams' arrest, that the arrest report never mentions ShotSpotter but uh, still definitely a consequential case and uh, seemingly another case where the police messed up and how they use AI and pretty much, um, you know, uh, arrested an innocent person based on some spurious uh, outputs.
0: Just comes to show how important the human in the loop is and not relying too much on these systems. And I think it both takes this adjustment period in terms of how we how we work with ai and and how we use it hopefully not to confirm our biases yeah
1: definitely
0: and on to our lightning round ai contractors eyeing bigger role backed by chips bill funds so ai-backed research advanced computing and cybersecurity are now goals sprinkled throughout the new u.s competition law authorizing 280 billion dollars to advance the U.S. technological leadership globally. And so this is the CHIPS law, and it offers these opportunities for AI firms to meet federal needs. Uh, and so this includes AI components for R&D and organizational changes. Uh, and so the the total funding, um, you know, breakdown is the... NSF, uh, the National Science Foundation, that is, uh, the DOE, the Department of Energy, um, and NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, are all getting billions and billions, if not tens of billions of dollars uh, to help with uh, key components for advancing AI, including creating a quote, creating directorate for critical technologies. Supporting STEM education and AI scholarship for service, funding R&D and demonstration activities for AI and and establishing new standards for cutting edge industries. So big deal, lots of money coming from the government um, to fund AI.
1: Yeah, let's hope some of my girls do grad students. <laughs> <laughs> One dollar for you, sir. One dollar. Uh, more scholarship and more grants. One dollar. Slash.
0: You will still be paid under minimum wage, but we'll call it a stipend. We'll call it a stipend.
1: We'll uh, give you a scholarship, and then that'll go to your university, and you <laughs> get extra money. Yes,
0: it'll go to the university, not the professor, not you. The university. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yes, China drafts rules on use of self driving vehicles for public transport. This is the next article. Um, so, uh, China is essentially you know, creating new rules for self driving since they are starting to see that on the roads, as you've seen before. Um, and the country's Ministry of Transportation. Uh, actually has been drafting rules to regulate self-driving. And they said that China should adopt autonomous vehicles and passenger transport with care. Um, And so the ministry will still encourage, you know, the use of autonomous vehicles as taxis in easily controlled scenarios and low traffic situations. Um, And that's according to the draft. So, you know, and and they're also seeking public advice, which is interesting. And so I'm I'm very interested to see where this goes um, as China... Uh, starts to maybe take the lead in deployment of these things or at least it's easy to see how they could be taking the lead on deploying self-driving cars.
1: Exactly and on that note actually our next article is Baidu's robotaxis don't need any human stuff in these parts of China. So uh, Chinese tech company Baidu said on Monday that has become the first robotaxi operator in China to obtain permits for selling rides of no human rider or staff member inside the vehicles. And we've had uh quite a few stories on uh new uh permits for testing and things like that. Uh but I don't know that we've covered actually, you know, commercializing robot taxi service, which is has only been done in, in a few small like um, test areas in the US. Cruise and Waymo are just now starting to do it in San Francisco. Uh, whereas here, Baidu will have um, two suburban areas in Wuhan and Chongqing, two major Chinese cities uh, to test in as well. So yeah, as you said, it's definitely neck and neck and It does seem very possible that China will take the lead. And our last lightning round story is US Appeals Court says AI cannot be a patent inventor. So according to the US Court of Appeals of the Federal Circuit, the uh, Patent Act requires an inventor to be a natural person. So. Computer scientist Stephen Fowler has been kind of suing for his patents to be accredited to an AI system, and that has failed and so yeah, after kind of quite a long legal process uh right now the status quo is patents must be by people and not AI systems, which um kind of seems to make sense to me. Uh, I, I never took this very seriously, but um, now this whole uh, saga is concluded, it looks like.
0: Interesting. So I guess Stephen Thaler will have to be the inventor himself then. I <laughs> guess. I guess I
1: um, do. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I wonder how this will play out longer term. Um, you know, if AI can't, will it have, you know, a pen name or you know pseudonym and yeah
1: yeah and on to our last section maybe our favorite section some days (laughs) it is the art and fun stuff section used to be fun and neat we uh revised that name a bit and first up we have robot repeatedly rearranges remnants in the round uh, which is kind of a weird uh artsy Article title, but it is covering this art installation called Sisyphus, uh, which is an art installation by artist Kachi Chan, who uh, built this thing that features two scales of robots. So There's kind of a bunch of smaller robots and one big robot arm that's you know like five ten times the size, and uh, you know. In keeping of the name Sisyphus, it's all about a sort of endless cycle where the small robots take these little blocks and build structures. And then the big robot is all mean and knocks them down <laughs> perpetually. So um, there's this whole kind of ongoing uh, construction and deconstruction cycle goes on. So uh, as you may imagine, it's a fairly kind of high-ish art installation, pretty abstract, but... Looking at the video and the image, which we will include in the description of the link, it's, it's quite neat. It's, it's really fun to see these little robots building their little structures and this big robot knocking them down. And I think it has a bit of a sort of emotional appeal, just seeing all these little things that the little cute robots built being knocked down. Uh, what did you uh, make of it, Sharon?
0: Uh, the video is very cinematic and high resolution. Uh, this is a high end art installation. And Sisyphus is, you know, from Greek mythology, the person who was doomed to roll a, you know, push a rock up and then have it just that rock roll down and continually have to push it up uh, endlessly in into eternity. So uh, th- that's kind of what this is mimicking here, uh, though, with robots. And I like it. I think it's kind of cool that there are all these like mini robots pushing things back to what, you know, the big robot has pushed against so though. It, it, I I think it looks great. Um, I might not be as, you know, emotionally connected as you are, Andre, to the art installation, but. I mean,
1: it's, yeah, it's cool. It's also just cool. <laughs> we can say that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's also, I think Sisyphus is one aspect, but it also has a bit of a David versus Goliath feel uh, where all these little robots are just continually working Mm -hmm. against the big robot. And obviously you can do some readings about society and uh, things like that. But um, yeah, uh, pretty cool art installation of robots. We've covered some previous art installation of robots as well. And it's always cool to see these art installations that utilize AI to Make things that are sort of uh, more alive, I, I guess, kind of more mm, interactive, like and that. more, yeah, more, uh, yeah, more kind of evolving or, or unexpected in terms of what they do.
0: And on to our last article Think your street needs a redesign? Ask an AI. And so in July, the artist Zach Katz actually fed Dolly to Google's Street View image of the block he lives in in Brooklyn, New York. And he actually told it, you know, how it, he wanted to actually replace certain aspects of this street view image. So specifically, he, instead of the pavement and parked cars, he, quote, wanted strikingly beautiful cobblestone European pedestrian promenade with an ornate stone water fountain and children playing and dolly too was able to generate that for him you know while masking out the while he masked out the components that he didn't like so the cars and street and it's gorgeous it actually looks really good uh and he did he started you know doing this for a lot of different street view images created a twitter account called better streets ai um he just started creating you know, creating more and more and more. Um, and, uh, now he's getting hundreds of requests, um, coming from all over the world, from Thailand to Canada, asking him to redesign streets with AI. And I, I really encourage you to go check, check all of these examples out. They look, they look very, very cool. I really like the one, um, uh, definitely from, you know, Brooklyn, New York of Bogart street. And it suddenly became very, very colorful. Uh, and I also, I like how the, the article also comments on how his favorite one cats is the artist's favorite one is just adding sidewalks to the uh, the street that definitely needed sidewalks and definitely needed people there. Um, because people have been complaining about the lack of sidewalks for a while, specifically his, his parents, uh, had been complaining about it. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I really like this project. Uh, Zach Katz, the artist here, is a former open street activist. So broadly, you know, these uh, use of the AI show how these streets could be more visually attractive, more kind of beneficial for humans rather than cars, things like that. And something that's really interesting is that uh, now... He is getting, you know, uh, via Twitter, a lot of people are asking him to, for this to be done to their area. And even like the mayor of a city in Wisconsin tweeted him and asked to reimagine some streets in his hometown. And according to Katz, council members and urban planners from all over the country seem to be very inspired by the images. So, and it makes a lot of sense instead of needing to do uh, any sort of like uh, 3D Uh, design or Photoshop or, you know, hire a designer or artist, Uh, this shows how you can use Dali in a very, you know, intuitive, straightforward way to um, show people uh, these different versions of what these streets could be. And yeah, hopefully inspire people to at least consider uh, ways that things could change. So yeah, very cool, both from an artistic and aesthetic point of view, these images are just fun to look at, but also as a use of AI and art to potentially have social change.
0: Yes, I, I really like the quote from Katz where he said, I think this is how it will lead to change, people with real decision-making power being influenced and inspired by these images. And they are very, you know, inspirational, it's very clear how much more beautiful the street looks in the before and after. So I I really do hope this leads to that change and that's a big deal. That's a big deal for um, AI to be actually influencing people's lives positively. So very excited to see this project here.
1: Yeah. So do check out the Twitter, uh, which we called out uh, and we also linked to it already has almost 20,000 followers. Uh, Yeah. Check it out and Looking forward to following this account and seeing future <laughs> posts by it personally.
0: Maybe suggesting your own hometown or just you know, uh, Stanford. No I'm kidding. <laughs> Stanford already looks pretty nice. I think Stanford
1: looks pretty nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's fine. AI will have trouble making it look more beautiful.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although it does yeah. make me think uh, it yeah. could be fun to just not necessarily make things more beautiful, but just mess with photos of where you live. Just be like, yeah. take some random uh, photo of a street in Stanford and add like, uh, you know, parade of clowns or something quite surreal and be like, look at what's happening at Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: fake news begins, oh no. <laughs> That's what I was worried about with stable diffusion, but Andre is already like way ahead of you, Way ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. really fun quick fact i was looking up uh legos washed up on the seashore in in england because someone was telling me about how that happened uh, but i got something that looked very dolly generated it was honestly a giant lego man on the beach and apparently that was a thing that happened in around 08 uh and 2008 and so yeah it, i was like or is this dolly generated fake news already i wasn't sure so it's coming uh, unfortunately so we'll see we'll see what happens there yeah um hopefully things are tamer but
1: we'll see mm-hmm.
0: and with that thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of skydive today's last week in ai podcast You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai.
1: We are super happy we can be back after a bit of a break. Uh, As usual, we will use this last bit of episode to beg for your reviews on Apple Podcasts. We always like to see what people think about it, Uh, you know. It, it's nice to see the five stars, but especially people write a review and tell us what they like or think about the podcast. That's always very exciting for us to see, so we appreciate it.
0: Yes, it but, makes us extra happy.
1: Oh, so happy! Uh, <laughs> yeah. But really, all that makes us happy also is just having you tune in and seeing that people actually listen. That's kind of the main thing. So. Be sure to tune in and we'll do our best to keep making these uh, podcast episodes regularly.